Light beer, dark money. Agree on something. Politics, culture, and the intersection of faith, freedom, and free enterprise. And now, live from the Star Worldwide Network Studios, here are your hosts, Light Beer, Chris Clements, and Dark Money, Sean Noble. And welcome back to another exciting edition of Light Beer, Dark Money. I am your humble host, Chris Clements. Sean Noble is not with me today, unfortunately. He is on assignment in Washington, D.C. On assignment, which could mean anything. He could be uh, at the Capitol Hill Club having a deep, dark meeting talking about dark money. He could be on Capitol Hill trying to get sensible people to pass a budget. Not quite sure what he's doing, but whatever he's doing, I hope he's enjoying himself. So this is a segment I like to call Dark Beer Thoughts. And while Sean is in our fair nation's, nation's capital, it seemed to me that the, the biggest stories coming out of our nation's capital is not exactly the fact that Merrick Garland was up on Capitol Hill yesterday testifying in front of the Judiciary Committee and making an outright fool of himself. That's not the biggest story. The biggest story is not the fact that uh, Iran is dancing in the halls of the United Nations in New York City because we released $6 million to them, $6 billion, excuse me, $6 billion to them for them to do whatever they want. We're saying that it's for humanitarian purposes, but of course they've already refuted that and they're going to spend it on taking more American hostages and holding us captive. No, that's not the biggest story coming out of Washington, D.C. at all. The biggest story in Washington, D.C. is not even Matt Gates's hair, which continues to get bigger and bigger as well as his ego. And I'm going to get to him in a little bit, along with his uh, co-conspirator, Lauren Boebert. No, but the biggest story in Washington, D.C. right now is actually a guy named John Fetterman, who actually is a really, really big guy. And for those of you who don't know, John Fetterman is the esteemed senator from the great state of Pennsylvania, was elected, barely elected last year. And unfortunately, Mr. Fetterman has had a uh, had a stroke during the campaign. It left him him incredibly incapacitated, uh, so much so that his doctor still signed off on his ability to run a campaign, which proved to be successful, (laughs) even though people couldn't even believe it. But since that time, since entering Washington, it's been nothing but a clown show for Mr. Fetterman. Um, He's unable to speak clearly. He's unable to partake in any type of debate on the Senate floor. He's unable to do much of anything. He can't even tie a tie or apparently wear a suit because the biggest story in Washington, D.C. is the fact that Chuck Schumer, the Senate Majority Leader, made a decision this last week to allow... Senator Fetterman, to wear a hoodie and shorts and flip-flops on the Senate floor, which is completely outrageous. Meanwhile, the rest of the staff, interns, pages, whomever, still have to follow decorum and wear a coat and tie. Now, why is this outrageous? A lot of people would say, "This, who cares? Who cares what he wears? But really, this is indicative of the downfall of our institutions, the continued lack of trust in our institutions and also the normalization of mental illness and that it can just be trifled with, that it can just be dismissed. Uh, 
Mr. Fetterman, Senator Fetterman, is suffering from really acute mental issues, uh, so much so that he was he he was checked into um, Walter Reed Hospital for the vast majority of the first quarter of this year. He missed eighty percent of the votes uh, in January and February. So this is a man who's deeply troubled, you know, dealing with huge emotional issues. He has no business being in the Senate, and yet. We are making this accommodation for him and throwing out, you know, literally centuries of, of Senate decorum. And, and why? So he can preside over the Senate floor in a Tommy Bahama T-shirt, shorts, and flip-flops, which happened last night. It's outrageous. And it's an insult to both Democrats and Republicans. I think it was um, one Republican senator that, you know, what are we going to do? Start wearing bikinis on the Senate floor and debating in, um, you know, in, in Jimmy Buffett wear. That's it demeans the Senate, demeans the integrity of the Senate. Um, and even the Washington Post, and I'm quoting from an article in the, in the Daily Wire right now, came out against this move by Senator Schumer. It's, they said, we vote nay. The Post editorial board wrote regarding Schumer's change to the Senate floor dress code. Dressing formally conveys respect for the sanctity of the institution. They're absolutely correct. And for the real world impact of the policies it advances. Putting on a suit creates an occasion for lawmakers to reflect just for a moment. Gosh, you could only pray for that on the special responsibilities with which the people have entrusted them and on a deliberative process that at least aspires to solemnity. The editorial continues. The Post warned that Schumer's decision, widely viewed as a handout to John Fetterman of Pennsylvania, could turn the Senate floor into a showcase of odd outfits and obtrusive political messaging. Ultra, ultra casual though it is, Mr. Fetterman's clothing probably doesn't represent the bottom of the slippery slope upon which Mr. Schumer has set Senate style, the board says. It is, however, all too imaginable that attention-seeking lawmakers will don t-shirts emblazoned with names and mascots of their hometown sports franchises, oh, the horror, or inflammatory partisan messages hoping to go viral on social media and garner small donor donations. That's precise. The Washington Post absolutely gets it right. It's a slippery slope. If you're going to allow one member of the body, the world's greatest deliberative body, to wear whatever it is that they want to wear on the Senate floor and throw out centuries of decorum and rules, then what's what's to keep uh, our own Senator Cinema, Kirsten Cinema, showing up in biker shorts and and uh, a tutu? How about that, Robin? She's been known to do it before. So why not just go back to old times? So it's, it's unbelievable that this, this would happen. I think in, in all seriousness, this glorification of mental illness. I mean, we're living in a society where boys can be girls and girls can be boys. And, and uh, we allow vast numbers of drug addicted homelessness, ho homeless to wander the streets, uh, endangering themselves and others. And, and yet we do nothing. Um, and now we have a really mentally disturbed, deranged senator who's imparting his wishes upon everybody else, and we're accommodating that. And I find that outrageous. But not just that. I mean, the Republicans absolutely have their own problems. 
and uh, and they have their problems in terms of some of their members and, and what they're trying to do on the House side. And I'm talking, of course, of Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and of course, Lowen, Lauren Boebert of Colorado. I don't know if everybody saw this, but she and a date were at a screening of the Beetlejuice musical somewhere in Colorado, and they proceeded to, shall we say, grope one another and vape, um, you know, while sitting there trying to, quote unquote, enjoy the show. Uh, They were then removed because the people around them were obviously offended and and outraged, to which Congresswoman Boebert then exclaimed, do you know who I am? And was ushered out of the building. Now, why do I bring this up? Because the Republicans have their own issues. And the issue here is, here's a woman who claims to be a God-fearing Christian, gun-toting, right-wing, NRA-loving conservative, yet she's hanging out with a Democratic bar owner who hosts drag queen story hours at his bar and which you want to do that whatever and you want to hang out with that person whatever but then don't impart the your so-called conservative values on the rest of us and and don't be a hypocrite this has led her husband of all things to issue a statement asking everyone to please stop picking on his estranged wife who he then admits that he was unfaithful towards. And it's a pretty pathetic letter that he sends out. Um, basically, you know, trying to take responsibility for, for their failed marriage. But again, trauma is a, is a horrible thing. And she's obviously acting out. She's obviously acting out in many ways. If she's vaping, hanging out with, you know, barely somebody that she doesn't even know, allowing that person to grope her in a public place and for her to grope him in a public place. Uh, she's throwing caution to the wind. And then she's saying, won't you forgive me? I'm so sorry. At the same time, trying to espouse conservative values. She should be voted out. And conservatives and Republicans shouldn't stand for that. At the same time, I've mentioned Matt Buffont Gates several times. Here's a guy from Florida who as early as last year was under investigation by the FBI for sex trafficking. And the reason that he was never prosecuted was because the person he was supposedly sex trafficking would not participate with the investigation. She was a 17 year old girl and she then turned 18 and she would not participate. She would not cooperate with the FBI and they, they similarly dropped the charges and he's out there threatening the speakership of speaker McCarthy every single day to call a vote, and in the meantime, he's raising tons of money from the con- conservative industrial complex, as our friend David Schweikert is, likes to say, and and making a fool out of himself. And meanwhile, we're heading towards a train next week where we don't have a budget, we don't have a, a CR that works for everyone. The, the, this group of Republicans, you know, either hang together or hang apart, and the lead editorial in the Wall Street Journal says precisely that, that, you know, Hakeem Jeffries, it quotes, uh, probably can't believe his luck. As House Minority Leader for less than a year, he gets to watch the Republican majority implode without having to do a thing. And that's exactly right. The Republicans in Congress have forgotten that the Democrats run 
the administration. They have the majority in the Senate. At this point, it's not what you want to do. It's what you can do. And it's my understanding that moderates and conservatives got together to work out this CR, which needs to be done before next week, or the government gets shut down. Now, we had a shutdown before during Obama's first term, and it didn't go well for the Republicans. They were able to recover, but it didn't go well for them. And it didn't go well for them for the same reason. If you have a Republican House, a Democratic Senate, and a Democratic administration, the other side holds all the cards. Now, you can strategically push your own agenda the best way you can, but this, but at the end of the day, they're gonna they're going to demonize you for any type of shutdown. You're gonna lose. Now, folks like Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and Marjorie Taylor Greene and others think that they can hold the administration's feet to the fire by shutting down the government, um, and that's just not the case. They'll they'll lose and and they'll all hang together. And they they are seriously looking at jeopardizing their majority next year during the election cycle, because they will be blamed for the shutdown. And, and yes, social security checks do go out. Medicare checks do go out. You might not be able to go to your favorite national park, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. Republicans will be blamed and they'll be blamed forcefully and openly uh, by the bully pulpit, which is the president like him or hate him or, or, afraid of his declining mental faculties, it doesn't really matter. The people behind him are pros and they're going to make sure the Republicans pay for any type of shutdown. So it's just insanity that we'd be even talking about this and the Republicans wouldn't be hanging together uh, for the purposes of, of pursuing their agenda, which they can do incrementally. They showed that in the spring. They can pursue an agenda incrementally to get the administration to budge on spending to bu- there's still no new taxes going up because of their efforts they can do that but if they continue to pursue a strategy of shutting down the government because they can't get their act together then it's going to be detrimental for the party it's going to be de- detrimental for the conservative cause and it's just going to be a disaster uh come next year and because sean this isn't a really good segue and I apologize for that. But because Sean isn't here, I want to just switch gears a little bit. But it's in the same mode of people who talk one way, but their hubris and their arrogance shows another side to them. You can certainly see that in, in Congress with the people I mentioned. John Fetterman is a perfect example of that he's living off of his own arrogance with regard to the accommodations that he needs. The other big story that has been captivating America for the last three weeks is the rise or the continued rise or of one Deion Sanders of the university of Colorado. We're going to talk a little bit about college football because I am wearing my USC shirt and they're playing ASU this weekend. And that is sure to be um, not a shootout, not much of a game. Uh, because Caleb Williams will put up at least four or five touchdowns on them, and it'll be um, hopefully there'll be some mercy in that game because USC is rolling, and Caleb Williams is showing that he's a pro quarterback by by any stretch of the imagination. 
But going back to Deion Sanders, so he has been in the spotlight the last three weeks because uh, he went came from Jackson State, majority black school from the South. He did a tremendous job there. Uh, he brought m- many of those kids to Colorado, signed a big contract, got Colorado to move to the Big 12, which was monumental. Uh, great move for them, great move for him. Uh, he professes himself to be a Christian follower of Christ. He's told, he's told several outlets that God told him to go to Colorado, which I can't question that one way or the other. I don't know his heart. I don't know his soul. I don't know what God, the type of prayer life that he has where God would be saying that to him. However, he has shown an inordinate amount of arrogance and hubris the last several weeks that needs to be called out. And I've been listening probably to a lot of Jason Whitlock over the last couple of weeks where he's, he has been calling it out, and rightfully so. So Colorado went into Fort Worth, and they beat TCU by three points. Three points. Uh, TCU, of course, was on a huge tear last year. The, you know, they beat Michigan in the Fiesta Bowl, went to the national championship, and just imploded uh, because they were so deplete. This is a brand new TCU team, and I am biased in this regard because my daughter went there, recently graduated, so I'm a horned frog at heart. And I was hoping for big things, but it's a whole new team. And Colorado went in there with their whole new team and won by by three points. And you would thought they had won the national championship. You would thought that they were the second, you know, coming of the great Miami or Michigan teams. And that's just simply not the case. They beat Nebraska the next week. And then, of course, they had a barn burner this last weekend with Colorado State. They're sure to face a gauntlet this week against Oregon, up in Oregon, and then when USC comes calling in two weeks. But my thing with with Dion is this. If you're going to profess your faith in that way, hey, that's great. If you want to create great men within your program, that's great. If you want to create a program that honors uh, women, like he had a symposium uh, the other day on that. That's great. But don't have little Wayne bring the team out before the first kick. You know, don't have rappers, stripper music playing in the, uh, in the locker room. Don't be asking reporters who have been around much longer than you in the college football arena, whether they believe or not whether they get it or not. You haven't done anything. You've taken a horrible team. You have three wins. You're creating a new culture. Is it a gangbang culture or is it a culture based on the values that you espouse? Is it a culture based on respect and honor and dignity and sportsmanship? Or is it totally the opposite? And right now the jury's out on that. Because he's saying one thing and their players and the way they're playing is, is saying something else. His sons are saying something else. Um, and they're tremendous athletes. I don't want to take that away from them. They're tremendous athletes. Um, obviously, Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, is, a, is an icon. His, his, his pro career, his career in college, unbelievable. Nobody can take that away from him. But if he wants to be recognized in the same light. I mean, I just saw a commercial the other day for Affleck where he's doing a commercial with, with um, the coach of Alabama. And 
and it, I, he's not in that. He's not in that league. He's not in that league just yet. And uh, and that's stupid. And doesn't mean that he won't be in that league, but he's not there yet. So that's my rant today, my dark beer rant, because I'm I'm kind of done with with just the insanity of it all. Kind of done with, you know, what's going on in Congress, where we're going as a country, the topsy turvy world that we live in. Um, I still believe that if you're a person of faith, that that you know, following that faith with humility and grace and understanding and forgiveness is the best thing that you could do. And we have people, you know, who have bigger platforms certainly than I do, or certainly than a lot of people do professing those values and yet doing something else. And certainly I have fallen short of that in my life many, many times. Um, but I'm not running for Congress and I'm in Congress saying that those are things that I espouse. Um, and I would just say to our listeners, you know, pray for our country, you know, pray for the folks I've, I've even mentioned, pray for our president, pray for John Fetterman. He needs to resign. He needs to find something that's going to make him happy. That's not going to put him in a mental institution at Walter Reed for four or five months. Cause this is definitely not it. Pray for Matt Gates. That guy just needs like he needs something because he's 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 searching for money, fame, glory, whatever it is. And he's certainly not finding the life he was living a year ago when he was under investigation. And what's so ironic is that once those charges were dropped, all of a sudden he was everywhere. You know, pray for our Congress. Um, pray for the young men who are going to be on the gridiron this this weekend playing for our own entertainment uh, and thankfully finally getting paid for it as well. So God bless. Remember to give us five stars wherever you listen to podcasts and uh, thanks all for listening. God bless.